0: Good to see you this morning. You may be seated. If this is your first time with us. I'm grateful to have you here. My name is Andrew. I'm the lead pastor of New Life East. Joy to have you in the house uh, this morning. And uh, I'd love the chance to meet you. So between services, we have a little thing that happens in the cafeteria called Fellowship Hour. So make sure to join us for that. Uh, donuts and coffee and all of the good things. We're in the midst of a series across all of our New Life congregations called Who is God? A look at the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we spent eight weeks looking at what the Scripture has to say about God as Father. And then another eight weeks looking at what the Scripture has to say about Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God. And now we begin to shift gears into talking about the Holy Spirit. And after Jesus is raised from the dead in the biblical story, you have Jesus kind of like what you expect is sort of like the curtain falls and the end of history happens. But Jesus is very gradual, like in the way that he approaches things. And so one of the things that you see in the biblical story is that during that 40 days or so that Jesus is resurrected but not yet ascended to the Father, he begins to talk to them about the Holy Spirit. And we're going to go to one of those texts in just a second here. So the creed then follows largely, like what we just said, it really follows largely the movements of salvation history and the unfolding revelation of the divine persons through salvation history. So God the Father revealed so much in the Old Testament. Jesus Christ as the divine son also reveals the son as he is being revealed. And then the culminating point of the creed is the giving of the Holy Spirit, which gives birth to the church. And we are here because the spirit has been poured out. One of the great theologians of the 20th century, Robert Jensen says that when, I love this, he says that when the spirit shows his face, the church appears. And so we are here now living in the era of the Holy Spirit looking ahead to the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. So for these next eight weeks recovering the Holy Spirit, I think, and we'll talk some about this this morning, I think the Holy Spirit is one of the most uh, misunderstood or underappreciated aspects of Christian doctrine and teaching. Also one of the most abused aspects of Christian doctrine and teaching. So if you have friends that you're like, you're trying to witness to them about Christianity, or you have friends that have just been like abused by the church or hurt by weird views of the Holy Spirit, this would be a good time to bring them in. We're just going to camp out in the Spirit for like eight weeks, which is going to be amazing. Also, part of the reason, now I'm just rambling. It's stupid. Bad, bad public communication, Andrew. Also, what are the reasons that on June 5th, we're having a single service? is because you know what June 5th is? Yes! Summer is great too, but it's Pentecost Sunday, so the Sunday when the church is given birth by the Holy Spirit, and so we're going to celebrate together being the church in the power of the Spirit. It is going to be amazing. Okay, I'm going to be in the book of—the rambling is over—I'm going to be in the book of Acts chapter 1, and then I'm going to bounce around to a few different places, and I have one like very, very simple and single thing that I want to put in front of you about the Holy Spirit this morning. Before we get to the text of Scripture, let's pray. The one thing that matters, oh God, and the whole reason that we would come here this morning is because we are interested in the advance of God in human lives. Our life, personally, the lives of our family, the life of our community, the life of this nation, the life of the world. We want to see the life of God advance. So we pray this morning that you would open up our hearts. We pray that you would open up our eyes, our minds, That you would help us see and understand who the Spirit of the living God is, who is advancing in human lives, and that we would find ourselves given over more to the Spirit of God who makes all things new. Grant that, we pray. We're asking that as we search the scriptures this morning, uh, we're praying that you would break them open in a new way, that fresh light would break from the pages of the sacred text, and that as the psalmist said, in your light we see light that you would illuminate us so that we can see the light wherever we go. So come, we pray. Come, Holy Spirit. We pray for a deluge of your presence in these next moments as we preach and as we respond by coming to the table. Grant, grant that the words of the preacher's mouth and the meditation of the hearer's hearts would be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said... Acts chapter 1, verse 1, the scripture says, In my former book, Theophilus, this is Luke. Luke is the author of Luke and Acts. So uh, just in case in your devotional life you're ever reading these books, scholars consider these companion pieces. And so when you track the life of Jesus through Luke, and then you start reading the book of Acts, really what Acts is, is Acts is Luke's way of saying that the life of Jesus has continued in the life of a people And so if you read Acts with Luke in mind, it actually helps you interpret it. That one was free. Theophilus, I wrote to you about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day that he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, after his suffering, he presented himself to them. And I love this. He gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. Sometimes I think the writers of Scripture are laughing when they write things. And I feel like Luke is is laughing a little bit. Like many convincing proofs that he was alive. Like what? I'm alive. No, I'm really alive. What more do they need than the risen Christ standing in front of them? Like, no, let me explain to you. I'm alive. He's there. Many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days. So that's the stretch of the church calendar that we're in right now. And he spoke to them about the kingdom of God. And on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command don't leave Jerusalem. But wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized you with or in water, but in a few days you will be baptized with or in the Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord and all God's people said. Jesus says that John baptized you, so you had an immersive experience with John in the water. But he says that in just a few days here... You're going to be baptized in or you're going to have an immersive experience of God the Holy Spirit. You will be submerged in the reality of God the Holy Spirit. I love that notion. I've been a Christian all my life. I've walked with Jesus. I've known the Spirit all of my life. And so when I hear the scriptures say that we'll be inundated with, we'll be submerged in the Spirit, that makes my heart come alive. But for many people, I think that's a scary concept. Okay, submerged in the Holy Spirit, uh, inundated with the Holy Spirit, baptized in the Holy Spirit. But what are we exactly talking about here when we talk about the Holy Spirit? Like, what could that possibly mean? And I think that for many of us, when we think about God as triune, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Father is a decently easy concept for us to wrap our minds around, you know. We picture this like all-powerful dad concept in the sky. Maybe we had a good relationship with our dad and maybe we didn't. But at least that's kind of like concrete for us. We get it. He rules all things. All things in some way are accountable to him. God the Father. I understand that. And then God the Son. Now that would be a a weird concept. Like God has a kid? Really? Um, Except that we have the historical record of Jesus of Nazareth in the Gospels to look at. So we read the Gospels and we go, oh, I understand what Jesus is. God the Son. That makes sense to me. He Heals, uh, the, he heals the sick and he raises the dead. and He cleanses lepers, open blind eyes and unstops deaf ears. Authoritative teaching. He welcomes those that are on the margins. God the Father, God the Son. I understand that. But then God the Holy Spirit. Okay, now what? And I do remember, you know, uh, I remember growing, being born and raised in church. And When I got to about 18, 19, 20, 21, I was kind of in a place where I was like, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Do we have to? Like, could it actually be? I would prefer if it was God the Father, God, the Son, and then God, the Holy Bible, maybe, because that's more concrete for us. You know, like I get the scriptures. And in my mind, the Holy Spirit was responsible for all of the most bizarre stuff that happened in Christianity. So the Holy Spirit was responsible for tongues and people giving weird prophecies about the end times and holy laughter and holy barking. That was a thing, true story in the 90s. And all of this weird stuff, you know. And so I just, I remember being in a place where I was like, I just don't know if I can do it with the Holy Spirit, can I just get by being a binatarian Christian? You know, God the Father, God the Son, that would be enough. But why do we have to with the Holy Spirit? I think that a lot of people are in that place. Where the idea of the Spirit has been so abused or the waters have been so muddied that they just don't quite understand what is it that we're dealing with. When we talk about, when we talk about an immersive experience of the Spirit, what are we actually saying? And Paul, I think, helps us locate the very center of the bullseye. When we're talking about God, the Holy Spirit, when he says this in Romans chapter 5, he says that hope does not put us to shame. Why? Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through who? The Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So for Paul, the association, the primary association of the Spirit, the center of the bullseye of the Spirit, is that the Spirit is the presence of divine love that comes to us and renews our lives, we could say it this way, that to know the Spirit at all is to have encountered... Next slide. To know the Spirit at all is to have encountered the love of God in person. To know the Spirit is to have encountered the love of God in person, not just as an abstract force or a sort of vapor floating around, but the personal love of God comes to us. And I can remember one of the first times I really experienced the presence of the Holy Spirit as the presence of divine love. I went to a little Christian school. It was associated with the church that I grew up in. And when I was in fourth grade, we had a Bible class every day. We had a Bible class. And in one of the Bible classes that we had, we invited this gal in our community. Her name was Ola, Ola Zagarek, an old German woman who had walked with Jesus and knew the presence of the Spirit in a powerful way. And she came and she taught our Bible class one day. And I'll never forget it. She sat behind the desk at the front of the room, and Ola was like four foot eight. Maybe, on a good day, like little hobbit woman, you know. And so she sat there behind the desk in front of this class of fourth graders and, like, barely see over the top, and she had her Bible open. And to this day, I don't remember what she shared about, but I remember the feeling in my heart when she was sharing. And you'll remember in Luke chapter 24, where Jesus is walking along the road to Emmaus with his disciples, and you remember after he leaves, what do they say to one another? They say, we're not our hearts burning within us. While he opened the scriptures and shared them with us. And when a person has the anointing of God on them, when they share the scriptures, that happens. Sometimes you're not even quite aware necessarily of what they're saying, but there's something that's awakening in your heart. Your heart burns within you. And I remember that with Ola. I remember as she shared, I remember that there was a burning that was going on in my heart. And then towards the end of the time that she had with us, she said, Class, I'm just wondering, would you allow me to pray for you? And we said, we're not going to turn down prayer in a Christian school, you know. So, yeah, of course, we would love you to pray. And so we gathered in a little semicircle in front of the desk. And she came out from behind the desk. And I'll just never forget this. I'll never forget the way this tiny woman who, four foot eight, again, she's like shorter than most of the fourth graders. She's a little lady. And she'd come around to each one of the, the class, my classmates and lay her hand on their forehead. And each one of them, boom, hit the deck. Laying on the ground. And I remember when she came over to me, you know, you watch, boom, your friend, another friend, another friend. No, no. (laughs) And also, I've just got enough of the skeptic in me. I was like, I am not going to do that, you know. She came over and just ever so gently received the Holy Spirit, Andrew, poof, on the ground. Back in the day, we called it being slain in the spirit, you know, and we don't, some of you may have heard that. You've probably seen YouTube videos about it, actually, you know televangelists running around pushing people over in the name of Jesus, you know. And I think that's a pity that that happens because the experience of being overwhelmed by the power of God is so profound. And I remember hitting the deck and just laying there, and I couldn't tell you how a of time out of mine, so I just laid there for, must have been an hour or so. And I remember wave after wave after wave of God washing over me, and the best way that I know how to describe that experience was that that was a baptism in the Spirit. It was an immersion into God. And it wasn't, there was, you know, there's no trace. James says, the half-brother of Jesus, he says that every good and perfect gift is from above, from the Father of the heavenly lights. It doesn't change like shifting shadows. Like, God is not hiding evil things or weird things or negative things. But when you experience God, what you're, experience, what you're experiencing is goodness. You're experiencing divine love. And I remember that experience. It changed my life. It opens me up to like, wait, when we talk about God, it's more than just a concept out there. But when we're talking about God, we're talking about the encounter with something that has it out for us for our good in all the days of our lives. So think about what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 14. He confirms this notion in one of his other letters. He says, for this reason I kneel before the Father." from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. He says, and I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through whom the spirit hold on to that in your inner being here, why? So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So what does the spirit bring to us? The spirit brings to us the experience of Jesus Christ who is the love of God in person, the love of God in flesh that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and then he confirms it. He says, I'm praying that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is what? So the Spirit comes to us to give us a revelation of the love of God. Wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And I love this, to know the love, he's got a little quick turn of phrase here, to know the love that surpasses what? To know the love that surpasses knowing. It's like we can never explain it. Human words can't comprehend it. The human mind can't comprehend it. Augustine says, if you can comprehend it, it's not God. God is always bigger than our minds can conceive. And yet, we can know God experientially in a way that even though our language could never quite trace out the mystery of God, our hearts know about God. And so you'll know the love, Paul says, that surpasses all knowing. And then what happens when all that happens? You're filled to the measure of the fullness of God. This is God's goal for human life. Not that we just sort of wander around in this kind of hopeless twilight, drudging it out until Jesus returns. But Paul is saying, here and now, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can be bathed in the love of God in such a way that we know the love that surpasses knowing and we're filled to the measure of the fullness of God. That's what the Holy Spirit brings to us. Bernard of Clairvaux, a 12th century monk, said it like this, describing the experience of the Spirit. He's interpreting the Song of Songs here, the first verse of it, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. And Bernard interprets this as a sort of love story that happens among the members of the Godhead that also then includes the church. And he says that if the father is the one who kisses, and the son is the one who is kissed, he says, then it cannot be wrong to see in the kiss, who? The spirit. For the spirit is the imperturbable peace of the father and the son, their unshakable bond, their undivided love, their indivisible unity. Would you think about that for just a second? The father from all eternity adores his son, And so the father kisses, and the son receives that kiss of love from the father, but the itself,
1: that's the spirit.
0: The spirit is the personal love that takes place from all eternity between the father and the son, in which there is no shadow of turning. There is no doubt about the love that the father has for the son, or that the son has for the father, and so that. It's their unshakable bond, their imperturbable peace, their undivided love, their indivisible unity. And friends, when we come into an encounter with the spirit of the living gods, we come into an encounter with that. We come into an encounter with that. But it's not just, I want to say to you this morning, it's not just kind of an encounter with the spirit that makes us go, oh, warm, fuzzy feelings, that's amazing, Right? But when we encounter the spirit of, the divine, of divine love, that is the Holy Spirit, that encounter with the spirit of divine love, it actually changes us. It transforms us, it makes us new creations. We say this, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, if anybody is in Christ, that person is a... Well, that happens by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit who comes to us and actually makes new creations out of us. And not just one time in our lives, not just the first time we encounter the Spirit, but many times after that, the Spirit comes to us and makes new creations out of us. I remember some years ago, we were just starting out at our church plant in Denver, and we were in the first couple years of that, and I felt proud of what we were doing. It was just a little thing, 70, 80, 90 people. I felt proud of what we were doing. It wasn't going as fast and growing as big as I wanted it to, but I remember just feeling good about it. And then I caught when, through the grapevine, somebody whose opinion I really respected said something disparaging about me to somebody else and about like, what we were working on. And I remember, like, hearing about that, and then, you know, you're, you've had it happen to you, your self-talk. You're like, oh, okay, get that off of me. That's no good. Or as Taylor Swift said, that's it. Yeah, you shake it off. And you ever have those moments where, like, you should be able to? You like know, you kind of dust it off, and you move on, and then a day later, all of a sudden, it's kind of come back to you. And you're okay, not going to have any of that. I forgive in the name of Jesus. You know, and the next day, it kind of comes back to you again, and... In a way, it's not so much just like words that people said, but it almost feels like a poison, like dart or something, an arrow, that just kind of sticks on you. And it works its way into your depths. And all of a sudden, now it's not just sitting on the surface of who you are anymore, but it's working your, itself into your innermost and you're scrambled. Your thoughts are scrambled and your heart's scrambled. and I, Your mind is scrambled, you can't get yourself right. And I remember I just went into like, kind of a tailspin for a couple of weeks. Not sleeping right, not thinking clearly. The work that we were doing in the church, I wasn't feeling as good about it as I was before. It was just a mess. And I remember just kind of aching to one of my friends one day. And he said, you know, he went to a different church across town. And he said, you know, I've got, there's a couple that goes to church at my church. But they're very discerning. They're full of the spirit. And you should go see them. Just tell them what you're going through. And uh, maybe you'll find some breakthrough or you'll find some relief for what you're sitting in. And so I did. I went and I go saw them and I sat down with them and they asked me to describe what happened. And so I started talking about it And uh, I don't know about you, but sometimes, uh, sometimes things affect me to such a degree that I don't really know how much they've affected me until I start talking about them. And I remember that as I started talking about it to this couple, I remember my hands starting to tremble. That I was so angry and so frustrated. And I felt so belittled by what that person said about me. And I just couldn't get it off of me. And so I talked my way around the whole thing. And they gave me some perspective and insight and then finally just said, Andrew, can we just pray over you? I said, sure. And so they came out, they were sitting on the opposite side of a table and they came out from behind the table and they laid their hands on my shoulder. And I don't remember what they prayed, but I do remember they prayed, come Holy Spirit. And I just remember the presence of God began to fall on me in such a profound way. And tears, I mean, tears like I had not cried in my life before, all of a sudden started welling up from the very bottom of who I was, all of a sudden I'm like heaving sobs and I have no idea how long that went on. 15 minutes, 30 minutes, 45 minutes, an hour. Again, time out of mind when the presence of God falls on you. But what I know is that I cried myself clean. And I don't know how long it would have taken to sit with a counselor to kind of work through that thing. And I don't know that I could have worked through it in that way. Sometimes it's just the encounter with the Spirit of God. Like what you need is you need to come into contact with love itself. You need the affirmation of God the Father through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit to come to you, to remind you of who you are. And the thing that was stuck to you all of a sudden is not stuck to you anymore. And you're washed and you're made new. And all of a sudden, again, 2 Corinthians 5 happens. If anybody's in Christ, he's a new creation. I remember leaving that, meeting with them and feeling like I was fresh and clean and new Teresa of Avila, a Spanish nun from the 16th century, said that the encounter with the Spirit does three things to us. She said, number one, the encounter with the Spirit cools us. You ever experienced that? That you're in the presence of God and you're just hot with rage, anger, and frustration. Or you're hot with desire That you know is going to pull you in the wrong direction. And she says that when you come into the encounter with the Spirit of God, what the Spirit does like cool water is that it cools you off so that you're back in your right mind and your right heart and you can make right decisions. Again, number two, she says that the Spirit quenches. You ever been in that place where there was like this thirst in you that you knew not what you were thirsty for? And then all of a sudden you taste the presence of the living God. And you go, wait, all of those things that I thought were going to fill this thing, and I would have done something stupid with my life had I given in to those thirsts, those hungers, those desires. Now all of a sudden I'm quenched because I've touched God. She says the Spirit cools us, the Spirit quenches us, and the third thing that the Spirit does is that the Spirit cleanses us. You ever experienced that before? That you're carrying guilt and shame and frustration and self-loathing, and somehow you come into an experience of the Spirit of God, and <laughs> All of those things come off of you. And you are, you know, we talk about it so often in Christianity. We go, are you born again? You know, it becomes like a label for a subset of Christians, actually. I remember talking with somebody years ago who wasn't a Christian. They go, now, are you one of those born-agains? But the experience of being born again is one of the most beautiful things that can happen. But Jesus says that you can't enter the kingdom of God until you are born again. And when you encounter the Spirit of God, you become new. You're fresh and you're clean all over again. I've seen it so many times. I remember seeing it with a guy that started attending New Life Friday night years ago. This guy had not been born and raised in church at all. Grew up in California. Got married. Had some kids. Started a successful business with one of his friends. And he had everything going for him in his life. Lining it up and knocking it down over and over and over again. And then all of a sudden, one year, his wife was diagnosed with cancer And so they go through the whole process of trying to fight that, and it takes years to fight it. And while he's doing that, his friend is telling him, "'Hey, buddy, you just attend to your family. "'I'm gonna attend to your business, okay? "'So I want you to be able to keep your eye on the ball "'with the people that you love, "'and meanwhile, I'll hold down the fort over here.'" So he did, trying to love his wife and take care of her and take care of the kids. And the cancer, as it advanced, it started to eat up her mind. And so the last six months that they had together were just absolutely awful. She wasn't the same person. He said, "'I lost her long before I lost her. "'It was terrible.'" So he loses his wife. She passes away and he's trying to pick up the pieces with his uh, his kids and then he comes back to the business and the friend who was supposed to be taking care of the business stole the business from him, cut him out of the whole thing. And in rapid succession, all of a sudden he lost the love of his life and he lost this thing that provided him with his own livelihood and he happened to lose the friend and he said, I was so bitter and I was so angry and I was so frustrated. So I started self-medicating drinking a ton and doing drugs and just acting stupid. And he said, I had all of this pain and I didn't know what to do with it. So I moved to Monuments up here and I started, he said, "I'll never forget this. He said, I wandered into a service here at Friday night and I don't even know why I came. He goes, I don't like go to church. I'm not like that kind of a guy. I'm not born and raised in church. I've... And he goes, truthfully, I don't even really know what you guys are doing. <laughs> you all get together in this big box. And you sing all of these songs and then somebody gets up and he pulls out this book of ancient things and he says stuff. I I don't get it. He said, but this is what I know. He said, I've been coming here for the last three or four weeks and I sit in the back row over there and I cry and I cry and I cry and I cry and I don't know why I'm crying. He said, I'm feeling emotions that I haven't felt in years and years and years because I'd locked those up and I'd shut those things away. And I'm sobbing there on the back row and I can't figure out why I'm sobbing. And I'm standing there with him on the front row, talking with him and Pastor Daniel, and we both looked at him, you know, we're kind of laughing on the inside. I said to him, man, I'll tell you what's happening to you. You're encountering the Spirit of God. And all of that bitterness and anger and frustration and all that desire and ego and ambition and rage that was fueling you, that all is being washed away. You're meeting God. God is advancing in your life. So whatever that is that's happening with you on the back row, run with it, baby. Just keep going because God will make something new about you guys. This is what the experience of the Spirit of God is. And we are invited to have our lives continually renewed by the Spirit who proceeds from the Father and the Son. Paul says as much in Ephesians chapter 5. He says, do not get drunk with wine which leads to debauchery it leads to foolishness the dissipation of your life he says don't get drunk with wine which leads to debauchery so there's a comparison he's got with wine right but then he says instead what are you going to do be filled with the spirit and not just once but the greek scholars will tell us that what he's saying there is be being filled with the spirit like in the same way that when you were a pagan you used to self-medicate with alcohol, and you would lose your mind, and you would do stupid things. Now you're being invited into this experience of God where you can drink and drink and drink and drink, and there is no limit to the drinking that you do. And when you pull the Spirit of God into your being, it changes you. You're filled with the Spirit. He goes on to say, then you'll speak to one another with psalms and hymns, with spiritual songs. You'll sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. You'll be caught up in rapture and ecstasy and And there's no limit to that experience. You get to just keep coming back to it. St. Isaac the Syrian, a 7th century monk, said that love, the love that the Spirit of God is, he says, love rather than food and drink is sufficient to nourish a human being. And this is the wine which maketh glad the heart of man. Blessed is the one who partakes of this wine, for licentious men have drunk this wine, and they have become chaste. And sinners have drunk it and they have forgotten the pathways of stumbling. Drunkards have drunk this wine and become fasters. The rich have drunk this wine and desired poverty. The poor have drunk it and been enriched with hope. The sick have drunk it and become strong. The unlearned have taken it and become wise. What is it that you have need of this morning? What cleansing do you need? What transformation do you need? What hunger of your life is driving you out of your head with madness? What's the need that you have? Do you know what the answer is? It's the gift of the Spirit of God. That when it comes to you, it puts you in your right mind. And it fills up your heart. It locates you in the kingdom. And it makes you the kind of person that the new creation bursts forth from. That's the invitation that's given to you. And do you know what the saddest thing to me in Christianity is? The saddest thing in Christianity to me is that this is offered to us continually and we do not avail ourselves of it. C.S. Lewis says that we're like children making mud pies in the slum when a holiday at the sea has been offered to us. He says we're far too easily pleased. What have you been trying to quench the thirst of your life with? What have you been trying to fill the hunger of your life with? I'm telling you, the one thing that matters is the spirit of the living God. And the psalmist says, That your love is better than life. And when I taste it, he says, my lips glorify you. That's given to you this morning. If you're willing to receive it, would you stand? And would you turn your hands to heaven like this? Spirit of God, come. Spirit of God, come. And I want you now to begin to welcome the Spirit of God into all the places where you are hungry and thirsty. I want you to welcome the Spirit of God into all the places where you're full of anger and frustration and bitterness, where you're full of rage and where you're full of jealousy and where you're full of lust and desire that's taking your life sideways. Welcome the Spirit there. I want you to welcome the Spirit this morning into all the places where your life is parched and it's dry and it's weary. God's intent is to pour out the Spirit upon you in such a way that the whole face of your life is renewed. And Jesus says that when God gives the Spirit, He gives it without limit. Guys, when God pours the Spirit out upon us, He does not take it back, but He gives and He gives and He gives and He gives and He gives until we're inundated in God, until we're baptized in the Spirit. And so we say this morning, baptize us in the Holy Spirit, Lord Jesus. And we confess to you. We confess to you that we have run after wrong things. And we have tried to fill the hungers and the thirsts of our lives with things that cannot satisfy. And we have given in to lesser loves and lesser desires. And so we're saying this morning, cleanse us. Make us new by the Spirit of God. Wash into us. Teach us to love God with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind and all of our strength. Teach us to love our neighbors as ourselves. Come, Spirit of God, we're praying. Come.
1: i to-
2: The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Would you do it now? Verbally, would would you say it to him? God, we're thankful. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that ministers to us, fills us with joy. Would you do this now? Would you just pause in his presence? The book of Psalms, it's a musical interlude in between the paragraphs. It just says Selah. Such a beautiful word, Selah. Just means to pause. Would you do that now? The table of the Lord is open to those who've called on his name. And when we call on the name of the Lord, Scripture says that you will be saved. That is what we give thanks for. And at the table, we celebrate that God incarnate became flesh to be, to be human, where he died on a cross for you. But he wouldn't, he wouldn't leave us as orphans. John 14 says that he comes for us these elements be representative for you that he comes for you he's coming thank jesus the lord jesus on the night that he was betrayed he took bread and when he'd given thanks he broke it would you break that bread in your hand and said this is my body which is for you when you gather as a church when you gather together would you do this in remembrance of me would you remember what jesus has done for you as you receive this together please eat in the same way after supper he took the cup he said this cup is a new covenant in my blood this is a new relationship I have with you when you drink it you're going to be filled and as you drink this would you remember that you are filled with the Holy Spirit would you receive the gift thank you Jesus now we respond In doxology, would you lift your voices?
0: Spirit and the bride say, Come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. Whoever is willing, let him come and take and drink the free gift of the water of life. You've quenched our thirst this morning. Transform us in the innermost, with the love of God, the Spirit of God, and send us out into your world this morning as ambassadors of the love that changes the world. Family, open your hands like this. receive this benediction as you go. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, grace, mercy, and peace be with you. I'll invite our Ultra ministry team to come forward. If you need prayer for anything, we'd love to pray with you. If you've never encountered the spirit of God, we'd love to pray for you to receive the spirit of God this morning. Join us for fellowship hour, coffee and donuts. New Life East family, you are loved. Go in peace to love and serve the world. We'll see you next week.